Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I am Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are both journalists who have written extensively about Doctor Who, but more importantly, we're fans from childhood who love to nerd out about the show. Indeed. Nerd out randomly in random order about any episode you could put in front of us. Um. <laughs> Which is really exciting. I have to say, I'm, I'm loving this format. I'm loving that we are, we are about to talk about our very first Hartnell episode. Mm. Um, and uh, that was a wild thing to go to. I, I, I mean, how, how many episodes have we done so far, Pete? Are you familiar <laughs> with where we're at? It's a good question. Uh, I think we're at about... In terms of the when we started the randomizer, we're at about ten, maybe maybe a dozen. Uh, I don't know. I'm yeah, overcounting there a bit. Because what we watched was the the twelfth um, story in mm. in the history, the whole history of Doctor Who. This was number twelve. So had we started uh, at podcast one with an unearthly child, we'd be here anyway. <laughs> so that's oh my god, that's kind even, of interesting. I, that never even occurred to me. You're right. but we've had a much more interesting journey and i think it's much more vibrant and alive when when you watch it this way i'm never watching doctor who any other way i've been fascinated by the remembering how i've trying to remember how i felt the first time i've seen each of these episodes were which most of which were at very different parts in my life um Hmm. and it's been really interesting to sort of see how I feel about them today, which has been also kind of a a surprising array of different emotions from between the episodes and also like contrasts from when I watched them the first time. Um yeah. yeah. This has been this has been And I'm great. and I'm discovering how little of Doctor Who I've actually seen. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is fascinating. It's like this is a whole new show to me in some ways. I am still super excited for the first missing episode because Mm. I, I really haven't really done that. I haven't done missing episodes either in audio or what they did the telesnaps or whatever. I know that stuff's available, um, mm. but it, the availability of it occurred probably after when I was like really hardcore to Doctor Who, so I never really indulged. And I'm I'm excited to to indulge to get into that. Um, this one isn't that. This is a bit widely available. Mm-hmm. One. I've seen it before, but uh, we'll get there eventually. We will, and it's it sort of—I mean, the, the, there's so much attendant media, right? I mean, and and I find myself getting more into that. Mm. Like, I did not imagine I would ever read an entire Target novelization like I did uh, last time for Mordred Undead. Uh, I, you know, for this one, the rescue, I've sort of dipped into the books that have been written around it. Uh, you know, I, I, I briefly considered listening to uh, a Big Finish adventure that's based on it. Um, so like I, I'm I'm getting more into it. The the deeper that we did get into our random journey into Doctor Who, um, it it is it is definitely having an effect on me, and it's it's positive. It's increasing my love for the show tenfold, uh, and my knowledge of the show tenfold, and all of the knowledge bombs that you are dropping, Pete, are are, are definitely uh, appreciated. You are you really yeah, are the, the continuity never... king. Well, this is this is why the the podcast exists is that I needed an outlet for all this semi useless information that's been taking up half of my brain for uh, the better part of the last ten, thirty, forty years. 
Um, yes, the target novelizations. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's it's honestly like I probably have a much greater appreciation for them now. I think most Doctor Who fans do than when they actually first came out in the the 80s, um, because you know a lot of artwork was commissioned for target novelizations. Uh, writers yeah. were forced to sort of create backstories and interesting sort of mental episodes that aren't really written in the ep- in, in, or mental bits that aren't really in the um, the episodes themselves that you can kind of sort of explore a, in, in its own kind of subgenre, which I think is just genius. Um, it's, it's just like particularly like going on Twitter and seeing like the contests that numerous people sort of put out and like which target like uh, cover is better. Um, there, there, there's so many good ones, and and I, I got to say, for the one where the episode we're about to see, or about about to talk about, um, there, there's been a lot of good artwork done uh, based, mm. since. Uh, I think the the art direction, the costumes are some of the best things about it. But I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> Indeed, but uh, glad you brought up Twitter because we did do another, or you did another live tweet of of this story, the rescue. Um, the rescue. That's where how- we're at, by the way, everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I'm sure it would be clear by the, the title of the show that you've clicked on, or maybe you've just randomized your own uh, podcasts, and you're just listening to a random podcast, and here we are, a podcast about random things. So. I love that idea. The randomizer <laughs> just keeps multiplying. It just keeps spreading its influence. It's, everything's random. Just do everything randomly. Have you ever read the book The Dice Man? I haven't. But. That was that was a, was a book from the seventies about a, a guy who like makes all his decisions based on rolling a Did dice. He? Like he just starts doing it and then <laughs> he gets really serious about it and gets into murder and like it just you know goes down a very dark path. So that's not where we're going. And then he invented Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that sounds like the worst ripoff of Two Face I could ever <laughs> there's ever been. <laughs> Instead of a yeah, queen, it's... he he rolls a dice. Yeah, yeah man. Six face. Six face. <laughs> or twenty face, depending so on how many you want to get. someone one out of six times. <laughs> but if he rolls a nat twenty, you are so dead. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing left. So, how's the podcast been doing on TikTok, Pete? The podcast has been thriving on TikTok, and thank you very much, TikTok audience, for continuing to um, just hang out with us there. Because I feel like we get a lot of good comments on the various snippets from the show. So, what we do is we take. Um, you know, minute long or shorter snippets from the podcast, uh, put them against some of the footage of the episode we're talking about. And it's a good little thought. It's a good little, like, you know, bite sized bit of pull to open um, for the audience. And we get a lot of comments on many of the videos. I get a lot of good observations. Um, you know, particularly the last one we did with uh, Modern Undead, we talked a lot about Turlow, how effective he was, and the Black Guardian. And I, there was there was some really cool um, response from that. Lots of people sort of had thoughts about the Black Guardian, the Tur- and Turlo, um, and and what these things meant to them when they were uh, watching it, and sort of some certain fan theories about it. And I thought, uh, you know, it, it lends itself to a whole another angle of discussion. So I'm really happy about was, it. Was was anyone upset that we trashed the Black Guardian and and the bird on his head? No, I think I think everyone like no one could possibly defend that. Um, but yeah, Valentine Dial, like I say, is, is a treasure, and, yeah. and everyone is uh, very on board with uh, the, most of our <laughs> most of our praise of the show. 
Um, mm-hmm. But and and the praise of the brigadier, the double brigadiers, yeah, like that. The randomizer loves the it. brigadier. We like the brigadier. I think we're mm-hmm. going to run out of brigadier mm-hmm. episodes. I feel like we're we're going into a different <laughs> direction. But again, I feel like there are eerie reasons the randomizer has brought us here, which we'll get to. Um, you know, yes. it's like this is the one of the great things about doing Doctor Who completely in random order is you see the patterns you didn't see, you know, yeah. and the, the beats that get repeated that you don't quite catch the first time. This has been, that's, that's been probably one of the most fascinating things about our journey here and why I'm, I'm really excited to keep doing it. Yeah, I, I have my own uh, suggestions for why the randomizer might have brought us here, so I look forward to comparing those. Um, nice. But before we get there, we should do our regular segment, TLDW. Indeed. So timed I just, recap. For some reason, I just realized it's me, and I honestly did not think about this <laughs> before. Like we did, like we've been so focused on the socials and TikTok and yep. the live tweeting that I forgot. Oh yeah, we do this, and it's my turn, right? It is your turn, <laughs> and uh, luckily, I mean, it's it's the rescue. The uh, the twelfth serial Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and um, it is not the most, uh, shall we say, complex story ever written. So it's it's, like, it's I, the I feel, second I feel two like I had episode a, one. Like you know, they had long, yeah. had long. I mean, you know, the Daleks was six part. There were most of the episodes, the longer ones were six parts. Most of them were four parts, and there were a couple of two parters. And this is a two parter. That's a short yeah. one, even by the, like I, the I, I was. Which which means that you have one minute to recap right. it. That's that's the only downside of this, because um, we said thirty seconds per classic episode. Um, but I was sweating bullets over Mordred Undead last week. Like, I I realized how hard it is to encapsulate that entire plot with all its zipping around with nineteen seventy seven with nineteen eighty three with the ship with the school the Black Guardian like so much going on but keeping it all straight had me worried for an entire week. The problem is, Chris, uh, we're storytellers. kind of the opposite. We're storytellers at yeah. heart as journalists. <laughs> and we want to stop and key in on those moments that we really, really like. But then you suddenly realize you need way more than a minute just to describe this one five-minute sequence in the show. And then you just start zipping things together and sandwiching them. But somehow we get it done. That's the other thing about journalists. We do. You When you've yeah. got a deadline... You hit it. Yeah, we're, we're story. We're story condensers. Right? We 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 are trained to tell a story in a paragraph if that's the only space that we've got. Right? I used to. You are you're setting expectations higher for myself now. Okay? So I'm, <laughs> I'm worried that people are. Like, oh man, this is gonna be great, man. He's gonna like tell great stories, and he's gonna like <laughs> do it in a minute, and it's gonna be incredible. And Right. Well, I'll say one more thing, and then uh, and then I'll let you get to it. But I, uh, you know, talking about how journalists condense things, and you know, we're trained to tell any story at any length. Kind of reminds me of the the classic tale when I was at Time Magazine of the guy who left on a Friday night thinking that he'd written the cover story, and then he gets a call on Saturday saying, "Oh, we're we're cutting it down to two pages." It's like, "Oh, okay, well, that's." Yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's still two pages. He gets another call. We're cutting it down to a page. He finally opens the magazine on a Monday. It's it's a brief. <laughs> <laughs> it's one paragraph. It's been cut down from a cover story to one paragraph. It's a page. But them's ads. the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Them's the that's breaks. The that's what happens. So, uh, yeah. So, in in the space of the equivalent of one paragraph, which is one minute. Okay. Pete Pichel, it's time to tell the story of The Rescue, 
and I will. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, uh, we should also you, know we're doing this late I... on a Thursday instead of our normal weekend time. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that out there if, if this turns into a complete disaster. But let's let's see what happens. All right. I'm going to find my timer. Uh, there it is. Always hard to find on the Apple Watch. And all right. Okay. And go. Okay. Young woman gets uh, on a planet. She's on a planet, stranded uh, on a crash ship. Gets a distress call. Uh, sees there's some ship that landed, um, and it turns out to be the TARDIS. And the TARDIS has just landed on this planet, and it's actually the Doctor, Ian, and Barbara. They've just come from Earth. The Dalek invasion. Susan's gone. Doctor misses her, so the Doctor stays in the TARDIS. Ian and Barbara go out. Uh, they, they, there's trouble. They encounter this weird bug-like guy who seems very sinister, and he seemingly throws Barbara off the cliff. Um, Ian gets hurt over the cave-in, uh, goes back to the Doctor. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Barbara finds the young girl, who's Vicky, who is uh, helping her friend Bennett, who is actually... Um, uh, not, he's injured, but he's actually been fooling everyone. He's actually the guy in the bug outfit who has been uh, hurting everybody, and 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 he actually killed. Says he killed everyone on the planet, so he ended up uh, uh, fooling everyone and thinking he was this bad guy. And he was going to get rescued by the rescue ship and make up this story, but everyone, doctor, and everyone screwed it up by getting there, and they confront him. He ends up getting killed by these two guys who he didn't get killed. Like, they were Didoians. They were people from the planet. And Vicky uh, joins the TARDIS, and they go off. Did, uh, that seems, uh, did, I, did you, All right. you say? That was over, that was oh, over by God. about 30 seconds. Dude, but... <laughs> you got to tell me. <laughs> no, I, you, were, you were doing great. You were in a flow. I didn't want to interrupt it. You were, you were getting there, and uh, I just... I felt like a steam train was picking up speed. Yeah. I well, I appreciate it. it. I, I, I feel terrible because I could feel it going over a minute. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like, this is not. There was just. Well, remember you, your previous outing, you did spend 20 seconds talking about uh, Bill Potts's date. So I'd like to. This is. You know, I like to wind it up. I like to set the scene. I like to <laughs> ease people into it. I'm a storyteller, Chris. This is the thing. Yes. It is the year 2463, or 93, 90. or whatever 90. it is. Yes. Yeah. Was On the, the spaceship UK 201. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot happened. Uh, but, but yeah. I mean, the point a is, lot. it's... Yeah. Oh, man, I should have just said, this is the... They last left Susan. There's this woman, Vicky, who is basically a child. I mean, she's just like 19 or mm. something. And the doctor and everyone... Um, find their replacement. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's it's your your bog standard find a replacement companion episode, and uh, and also it's a it's a story about gaslighting, indeed, which is maybe the first uh, randomizer reason the randomizer has brought us here straight from well not straight from the lie of the land, a story about gaslighting, but we were there two weeks ago, um. And uh, and of course the gaslighting is is Bennett who I I wasn't one hundred percent clear on it. Bennett killed someone on the ship on the way there, and right. then 
he had to kill a whole bunch of other people so that they didn't tell anyone. They wouldn't tell anyone. And then he had to commit genocide so they wouldn't tell anyone. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty bad. Um, yeah. So, Bennett is evil, and he he's a genocidal maniac, but yes. So, he, he murders someone on the ship. It's I don't think it's ever specified who. We do we do know Vicky's father is on the ship, but mm. the thing is, Vicky was sick, so she didn't see any of this when she yeah. was on the ship. So, the fact that Bennett killed someone, everyone knew he was the murderer on the ship, except Vicky, because she was sick. So they crash on the planet. Um, they go to seek help from the Dido people. The Dido people help them. They're super peaceful. Hey, let's hang out. Let's have a feast. Um, but Bennett, I don't know. They never really specify what the you know the movie. Like it sounds like there's a whole movie that happens in terms mm. of him murdering everyone. But basically, he somehow engineers it so that. When they're all at the feast, he murders everyone else, which includes Vicky's dad and the Dido people, of which there are only a hundred. <laughs> so it's it's sort of like a, it's it's like the Pilgrim story, except if one person on the Mayflower had murdered everyone and then murdered all the Native Americans when when they left. Exa- that's exactly it. <laughs> <You're nailed. laughs> and then and kept one girl around and then just completely lied to her. Uh, by dressing up as a Native American and saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm the people. I'm, I'm the guy who killed all your friends. Therefore, you better not mess with me, and you better just stay in the ship." Yeah, it's funny. Like it's on on top of murdering everyone, he decides to terrorize her and essentially traumatize her because he wants to keep her subservient and not asking questions. And mm. It's uh, it's just wow. How many layers of evil do you want on this guy? It's, it's pretty bad when you think about it. Uh, I mean, a- apart from anything else, it's cultural appropriation. I mean, he's he's stolen <laughs> their their sacred costume, right? That he's he's wearing their ceremonial robes that they only the doctor tells us at the end they're only used uh, in the the halls of justice or something like you know the, it's a really super important ceremonial costume. And that he's using to scare Vicky with, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I gotta um, say, like, let's just go right into it. This is probably the best thing about the whole episode is the costume and why it's in like yeah. all of the artwork for the show. Like, it is this really, really cool bug-like face, bug-like costume. Um, the person who designed it, her name is Daphne Dare. Uh, I got to give her credit because it is—it's one of the best costumes Doctor Who has ever done. Now it's in black and white. Um, but not only is the costume great, like it has really good bug-like features, it has a lot of claws, it has a lot of spikes, it looks scary and alien all at once, but the way that it's mm-hmm. used in this story is really cool. Um, and I, I sort of botched this in the summary, but the fact that this uh, bug-like guy named Coquillion is scaring them throughout the episode and you're kind of fascinated by it, um, I feel like it... It really subverts the whole Doctor Who expectation when he takes it off at the end and it's just a guy mm. in a suit because Doctor Who viewers at this point and really throughout have been trained to sort of look at the suit. They know it's a guy in a suit, right? Like for the show, right? Like And and they're trained to like, oh, wink and nod. Okay, we get it. Like I could tell that's a guy in a suit, but I'm going with it because I like Doctor Who and they're selling it 
as this big alien thing. So as a viewer, you're like, oh, okay, this looks like a guy in a suit, but like, it's supposed to be an alien. I get it. And at the end, when it's just a guy in a suit, (laughs) like it's just like, (laughs) oh, oh." you like, like you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're you're totally yeah. There, there are layers. There are layers to that. You really like screwed with my expectations there. Like it's a cheesy B movie suit for real. (laughs) Yeah. You thought it was, and it actually is, uh, and that's how the Didoans wore it too. Uh, and here they are showing up at the end, the two of them that are still alive, to uh, take care of business and, and throw them off a, off a cliff, basically. Which is how everyone dies in, in on the planet Dido. They Everyone falls off cliffs. Yeah, there's a lot of cliff falling off. So, did what... <laughs> That's like bringing up the end. The two Dido guys, the Dido mm-hmm. people, Didoians. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the right word is, but they come out. What? Who did you think they were? Were they survivors in hiding? Were they ghosts? What? What were they supposed to be exactly? It's never really explained. What was your thought? It is. It is never explained, and it is super weird because they're both sort of weird blonde Aryan types. Uh, and you're like, you know, they, they look pretty healthy. And it's like, where, where have they been hiding themselves? Why are they, why are they still alive? Um, and we don't, and they don't say anything. Like, right. the, and the doctor barely even sees them. He doesn't speak to them uh, because the doctor's been knocked out by Bennett slash Coquillian. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, he'd also appropriated the name. I, I didn't realize this until I wrote it up online. Like that was a name or. Kakulian or something like that was the name they used in their ceremonies. So he just he anglicized it, I guess, to Kakulian. Oh, interesting. Kakulian was that? That was in the novelization, so, or what was that? In? Uh, yeah, I think that might have been novelization. I'm not sure. I've I've read a lot of stuff from the rescue. <laughs> now. <laughs> more than that, more has been written than was in the actual script itself. It's it's fascinating for that reason. You do your research. Seems to have stuck. Seems sort of stuck in a lot of people's minds, um, but yeah, it's not clear. It's not clear. A lot of things about um, Dido aren't clear. Mm-hmm. First of all, the Doctor has visited there already, which I think is a first for the series. I think this is the first time yeah. you, the Doctor says, "Oh, I've been here before." You know, aside from Earth, of course, but mm-hmm. um, you, you know, he he alludes to basically an off-screen adventure that he had. Uh, before coming to before the series itself, really, like we yeah. have been on Dido before, yeah, very interesting. Like, oh yeah, I recognize Dido. Um, and apparently, there were, I think he says a hundred people or hundreds of people, right? Which is not really a thriving population, any way you slice it. Yeah. So it's got it's gone from a hundred to two. They both appear to be male. I'm not going to make any presumptions <laughs> about how Di- Dido people uh, replicate. But uh, maybe it's asexual. I don't know. Maybe it's two guys. I don't know. Don't want to judge. But I don't really think their species is going to last much longer if it's just the two of them left. So there's some real sort of, you know, genocidal ethical issues going on. Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, I got to say, you know, I got to step back even further. A hundred people, really? Like, that's it? You know, yeah. like one dude is able to blow your whole species up. I mean, that's a little all your eggs in one basket to begin with. Yeah. Not that and, it justifies anything, but it's like, it doesn't sound like a thriving people to begin with. But this is Doctor Who, right? I mean, like they do these sort of yeah. iconic things that simplify the story 
don't really make a lot of sense, <laughs> but you kind of go with it, yeah. and they can still kind of work. Um, it still has to, you know, leap that that level of, uh, you know, understanding in your brain, right? You you've got to be able to go along with it. Got to give us the tools to go along with it. But here's something else interesting: if the Doctor has visited Dido before, then presumably he did so with Susan, because right. presumably he's been traveling with Susan since he left Gallifrey. Uh, which, by the way, in the novel Byzantium, which is a um, sequel to The Rescue, uh, the Doctor's said to be 296 years old and to have left Gallifrey 60 years ago. Hmm. Uh, so that's how long he's supposed to be traveling at this point. So it would have been at some point at that point. So he and Susan have been zipping around the universe for 60 years. And we know that he's like, we have the scene in the TARDIS where he accidentally tells Susan to do something and then realizes she's not there, uh, which is heart wrenching, mm, totally. by the way. Um, and uh, so that would mean that when he went to Dido before he went with Susan, so the whole planet would be reminding him of her. Mm. So if that were the, I, I feel like the writers missed a trick there. If that were the case, that we could have a lot of heartstring tugging going on here like the the doctor could be like oh this this cave or this oh this hall of justice or whatever you know i i was here with susan you know um, yeah especially since it's like such a small population presumably all the same places and all the same things they were doing yeah, yeah. if there was it was a longer if it was a longer episode they might have had time for that or if they thought of it um i got to mm. say i don't know if this particular story could have been much longer um there's there's actually a lot going on in the second episode. At least it seems to be for a bit. But um, I, I wouldn't endorse having it go even uh, to another episode or two, just because I, I think the the resolution's pretty obvious. The mm. the twist is a bit obvious. Maybe maybe less so for 1960s audiences. But I feel like they they stretch the story as much as they could here. Um, and I think unless I think you, unless you had like flashbacks to the murders on the ship, like that, that would be one way right. to extend it. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much a vehicle for for the arrival of Vicky. Um, although not not as much as everyone thinks. Apparently, the the writer did originally have the idea of a story involving a a murder on a spacecraft, and you know the murderer trying to cover it up and doing kind of so, a whodunit. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's it was theoretically supposed to go straight from Dalek invasion of Earth to the Romans, um, and they when they just threw this in, I guess uh, David Whitaker was the writer, and right. he just said, "Yeah, I got this idea, I can I can squeeze that in here." But what do you think about the fact that we see right there at the end of the episode that the Doctor inviting Vicky into the TARDIS, and this is the first time? It's not only the first time we've ever seen a companion be invited to travel with the doctor. It's also the only time I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it happens in the Hartnell era. That's a good, yeah, actually come to think of it because um, yeah, there are, there are, Susan's there already there are arrivals. Ian and Barbara yeah. are just accidentally stroll in. That also happens with Dido. Hmm. Steven um, wanders in. Um, yep. Everyone used to just wander into the TARDIS. And so did Ben and Polly. I can't yeah. speak to Dodo because... Uh, yeah, Dodo, I think, 
I, I looked this up to see if I was accurate about this being the only Hartnell era invitation. Yeah, I think Dodo also mistook it for a police box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of it, right? Who else is there? Yeah, Katarina. Well, yeah, you're right. It's uh, her kingdom. So that's all Dalek master plans. And Sarah Kingdom. Yeah, but we don't really... I think they're all missing episodes. And, right? so we well, it's also we like... A whole lot about I'm that. not sure... They're all sort of within the same story, so it's it's a little bit like yeah. I traveled in the, in the TARDIS, so I count as mm. a companion, a little bit like Adam Mitchell later. But I think yeah. you're right. Like In terms of like the proper companions who were there for a while... Um, no, no one, no one's really invited except for Vicky. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, did did it seem out of character to you for for no, the irascible? No, not at all. And honestly, mostly because it's like the the Susan, the missing Susan, wanting someone to sort of be her surrogate is so powerful in this, and so obvious that it just seems like, mm. um, of course, you're going to invite her to go along with you. Um, otherwise, yeah. like I guess a more honest invitation would be, "Hey, I just lost my granddaughter. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just left her uh, on Earth, locked her out of the TARDIS in a super traumatic way. <laughs> um, took her shoe. I actually went back to watch the end of the Dalek invasion of Earth to see, because uh, I'd never seen it, uh, to see how exactly you know I'd seen the speech that he gives mm-hmm. classic, to Susan from the safety of the TARDIS." Which they repeat in the Five Doctors, right? That's kind of a famous speech, right? Um, but I hadn't seen how he did it, and he steals her shoe. <laughs> well, he's got to lock the door. She... Um, yeah, he's just like oh, I'm going to open it up. I would give you your shoe. You can't come in. I, I don't think that would. I don't think that would <laughs> work. Just tossed a shoe out as he, <laughs> as he locks the door. I don't know. Yeah. So um, so I think all all the stuff with Vicky. Um, and the doctor in the second episode kind of sets the stage for this. So there is some really good dialogue between the doctor and Vicky in episode two, where yeah. she's sort of angry at Barbara. I mean, the, the script is actually quite good because there are good moments of genuine anger between and, and the good, good emotional moments. So when uh, Barbara kills Sandy, the pet, and Vicky's very angry with her, understandably so. If anyone's had a pet die on them, and particularly if someone who <laughs> who is in a very isolated place has gone through trauma yeah. and has attached to a pet, honestly, I, I, I would think Vicky would be more attached to this this animal than she. That she is lets certainly on. how you could string it out. It could be like this misery style situation where you know Barbara ends up tied to a bed. <laughs> uh, the dark rescue. Um, but I feel like what, what, what that serves is that Vicky is, is vulnerable, she's angry, and the doctor has his opportunity to come in. And if he, pl- you know, essentially if he, if he plays his cards right, but if he, if, he, if he actually is a compassionate grandfather figure for this young woman, um, the bond will be that much stronger. And I think, I think in, to his credit, Bill Hartnell sells it really well. The dialogue's actually mm. quite good on David David Whitaker's part, and he's he really just goes full grandfather on her, you know. And he's very much like, okay, you know, you, I know you're angry, but you know, Barbara was really just trying to protect you, and um, she he wins her over very quickly. 
and right then you kind of start seeing a bond forming. And so it doesn't come out of nowhere at the end when he's like, you know, yeah. I want you, you know, you could come and come with me. And I, I really liked, and this is really just a thing only that sort of hindsight's 2020, but the, the exact dialogue that he uses to convince her uh, echoes the uh, some promos for season five with Matt Smith, series five in, in mm. 2010. It's probably a conscious thing. They, may, they might have... They might have looked at the rescue. I don't know. Maybe, or at least it was in their minds. But he goes like, he says, anywhere and everywhere, regardless of space and time, like that's what I'm offering you. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> yep. And he's made it, made something similar to various companions. But um, like I say, I, the, the exact wording, I, I remember distinctly because it's actually my favorite promo of Doctor Who ever is that Series 5 mm. promo with Matt Smith and Karen Gillan. Whereas he says, you know, anywhere and everywhere, any star that ever was, you know, where do you want to start? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Except uh, the Hartnell Doctor doesn't ask you where you want to start. No, it, he has no idea. First of all, I'm not sure he knows uh, <laughs> where he's going. Uh, he's, he basically has a randomizer on his TARDIS. Yeah. And, and secondly, no, you don't get a say. <laughs> you know, he's, he's very uh, paternalistic. Yeah. Is the Hartnell Doctor? And you definitely see that when you're putting him, when you're contrasting him as we just did with, say, Peter Davison. Yeah, he he does. He, um, he marches to the beat of his own drum. He does his own thing. Um, it's funny, like they never specify that everything's so vague in the first Doctor's era, and um, mm-hmm. there's even, um, I think, a little bit of vague dialogue in this one where we we just had so little. We do, we know so little about the Doctor at this point. Um, you, you know, he's uh, uh, the doctor's from a different age, a different planet altogether. Like that—that's something. How yeah. that's how Barbara describes him at one point, and it's—I I just love like the thinking about that era, even though we know so much now, obviously, about who the doctor is, where he's from. But you think about like what this was like in season two of this show. Yeah. Like you had no idea. Like what? Why? Who is this guy? Why does this thing look like a police box? I mean, we kind of know, but not yeah. really. Like, why does he dress like an Edwardian time traveler? <laughs> right. Um, and the different age thing is is interesting because they, I think, they say it twice, mm. or they they emphasize it. Like it's the different age before the different planet. The the more important thing seems to be that he's from somewhere else in time rather than somewhere else in space, mm-hmm. and that's what they seem to be teasing. Um, but also, it emphasizes the fact that Ian and Barbara just don't know. Yeah, and they they've not they've not. Uh, asked i don't know if they're in sort of stockholm syndrome situation at this stage but they're they're just sort of like yeah we've been captured by this random wild dude with white hair and (laughs) he's taking us around hasn't told us anything about him but you should totally trust him yeah completely trustworthy grandfather you know you gotta like think about the era like i get it like like if, when you put it that way it makes no sense and it probably shouldn't make sense <laughs> and most people you should if people whisk you away somewhere you should probably ask who they are um where they're from but <laughs> yes remember kids do not go off with strange well, white-haired I men mean, in police I'm, boxes you're reading too much into this but if you think about the 60s and just generally like there's there's a bit of a religious quality to it of like this person has in a sense saved me not necessarily mm. saved, but like has opened the world, the universe in, in a way to me that I've never seen before. Bestowed me with knowledge and adventure that I uh, heretofore, like I, I would never have 
uh, conceived of. And that has, I think, awed them to a point where, you know, they, they're putting enough faith in him. Like, it's okay. You know? Yeah. Like, the wonders you've they, shown they, me, they I, would, I could die easily, but I'm still okay, and I'm here with you, so I'm going to trust you. It's 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 on the road. It's basically the plot of On the Road. They're beatniks. You know? The the Doctor is like the the Neil Cassidy character. He's uh, just, you know, they're, they're getting loose. They're living wild and free <laughs> on the roads of time and space. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone, everyone was getting into this in the, the mid '60s, right? Everyone was reading Kerouac, so <laughs> they, they should have really hyped that up. Had him regenerate into a beatnik, which he kind of yeah, did. There were, there were moments. There were moments. <laughs> beatnik planet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I I want to talk um, a little bit about you know speaking of the, the time and place that this was in about. Uh, my my part of England, the north of England, okay. and its its particular relationship to this episode, because uh, Maureen O'Brien plays plays Vicky. Mm-hmm. Um, she was completely unknown to television. Yeah, first role. And uh, yeah, she was she was um, uh, an actress from Liverpool, which is the the town I, I was born in. Nice. Um, Did you guys hang out? Swinging. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I should ask my dad because. Uh, he he grew up in Liverpool, and Vicky appears to be just two years older than he Ooh. was. So maybe they rub shoulders. I don't know. I mean, you know, my my dad's the guy who went to the cavern but never saw the Beatles. Oh no, because uh, they they went to the wrong school. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we never we never stop reminding him of this fact. He went to see another band that nobody's ever heard of. Oh because man, he thought they were going to hit it big. Yeah. Mr. So, so Mr. yeah, it's, 19, it's 1965. Liverpool's cool. We've got an actress from Liverpool in the TARDIS, even if she doesn't have the accent. Um, but also, very fascinating thing about this episode is uh, its viewing figures. Mm-hmm, yes. It was. It got more viewers than the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Than any Dalek despite episode. Despite not having any. Than they've done. Yeah, than any Dalek episode. It had like 13 million viewers. But particularly, those viewers were from the north. Oh. Um, it was the number one show of the. It was like the number eight show of the week overall, in in the UK as a whole. But in the north, it was number one. In London, it was number one. In the north, it was number one. Like they they combined forces and like, and that's huge. I don't think Doctor Who has ever hit the number one spot like overall. But um, but yeah, it was a big thing that was watched in the north, and this ties in to a show that I recently started rewatching called The Likely Lads, which you probably haven't heard of over this side of the pond, but it was a uh, it was sort of the first northern sitcom, northern English sitcom. And in episode one, there's a Doctor Who mention. Hmm. And episode one was was broadcast in December nineteen sixty four, which is uh, the month before the rescue. Um uh, and there's there's a line about so so the plot is, so it's uh, Bob and uh, uh, I forget what the other guy is but they you know they're they're two likely lads they're two you know today it would be men behaving badly they're on the pool and they've they've got some French girls that they're bringing back to the house and uh, Bob's sister says oh you'll you'll not get our dad in here like you'll not get our dad to participate in a family dinner he'll miss his doctor room. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I thought so much about that line when I saw it. Because I'm like, it's, it's sort of weird because we think of Doctor Who as evolving as a, as a children's show first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was. It was super popular with adults. Right. Uh, like my dad was, uh, I think, 16 when Doctor Who started. And he was watching. He, he thinks of it now as a... A show from his childhood. It wasn't. It was. It was from his later teenage years. He was basically an adult. Mm-hmm. He got into it. You know, all these northern men getting into it when they they got home from the football match. <laughs> that that was exactly when it was broadcast. And, and Doctor Who would be the thing that was on. And to to the point where it was a punchline in sitcoms, just a year after it started. Um, it's just just fascinating to me that it had that rabid following. And and here we have, you know, northern representation uh, in the show for the first time. And I'm I'm sure that that miniskirt Vicky was wearing right. didn't hurt. My goodness, I have never I heard that to theory be about the the northern yeah. connection, and it makes yeah. it makes a certain amount of sense. Um, the the idea that a whole generation of northerners were raised on Doctor Who and then sort of went yeah. on to, you know make it and do other things um I, I like that idea yeah doctor who and the beatles man that was those they're both all the rage in the mid-60s well, there was this is about um about 10 episodes away maybe or so from the chase where the beatles actually make their one and only doctor who appearance um mm. it's i believe it's stock footage from uh the bbc but uh from one of their appearances there but um i i distinctly remember that that made an impression on me um seeing it as a kid on pbs and sort of uh cementing the beatles as and the doctor who and and british culture all all in one it was kind of like oh okay i get it this is all kind of the same era and susan looked very beatles-esque indeed right with with her haircut definitely looked like a a beatles fan well that was uh Uh, that was an interesting thing about maureen o'brien getting cast as Uh, Vicky, so apparently they asked her at one point to dye her hair, which is such a such an ex boyfriend thing to do, you know? Like, <laughs> could you wear this scent? Could you dye your hair? And I, I am really impressed <laughs> with the story. I assume it's true that that you know, being a brand new person to the industry, I, I wouldn't you wouldn't think she'd have the self confidence or the you know be able to stand up for herself, but maybe. Mm. Because of that, she she was able to do it because she mm-hmm. basically was like, "Why don't you just recast the person who just left? Yeah. Like, why don't you just go get her? Yeah. Like, if you want yeah. someone, you want a brunette, get a brunette. But I'm not going to dye my hair, and I'm just like, good for her." Yeah, I mean, these days, you know, a showrunner might might still say we'd like you to dye your hair but you wouldn't say i want you to look like an exact clone of the person who used to be on the show <laughs> like i think there's an understanding now that you, you contrast is good yeah. uh diversity is good and you know may, maybe the audience is ready for a blonde <laughs> goodness the, the first blonde in doctor who right um, she, <laughs> which right. she is yeah it's uh, true being exclusively brunettes up until then um, yeah. and, and white haired um, but yeah it's it's super weird and it was supposed to be um, the woman who's in at the end of, of, of the Dalek invasion of Earth she was supposed to be the new companion yeah um, it was, I, I haven't I, I didn't 
research that one like you did in going into this one, so I can't remember. But it, I do remember various people in that episode. Anyone could have been possibly the companion. But yeah. I guess, yeah, they were planning on that. And then there was a weird... I forget the reasons why they didn't do it, but I, I do know there was... The well, they, they was just I think they just saw her in action. They were like, eh, she's not... She's not right for the role. Like, she's not fighting the Daleks hard enough. I don't know. Doesn't have yes, enough spunk. We'll call you, Hon. No, we'll call you. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all right. You go home now. But they had this uh, the one, of the, and this isn't that notable. But the the rescue is the first episode in the new production block of Doctor Who. So basically, they were essentially making yeah. every episode back to back for weeks for fifty two weeks. Isn't, isn't that insane? And they did this for years. Yeah. Like they they literally shot the show. Every week, like and throughout the week, from September to July, mm. and like I guess the cast had about like roughly a month off, you know, before they had to start coming back and doing things. Like, yeah, whoa, like I mean, no, no wonder they they start off with Bill Hartnell in his chair asleep right. in the TARDIS. <laughs> no wonder he's got. He's is it like an Eames chair? He's sitting in at the start. He's got this. It looks very you know. Comfy. It's very comfy fifties style mm. chair that he's that he's falling asleep in. I would totally fall asleep, especially the rhythm of the TARDIS. Like you know, if it, if it's humming and vibrating when it's in motion, like you totally fall you know, asleep. I to gotta that. say, and we'll probably come back to this a few times. I think Bill Hartnell's rapport with um, William Russell and Jacqueline Hill is so good. Mm. Like I, feel, you know, there's there's lines that are kind of not that funny but they come across like i mean the the warmth and the back and forth between them is 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 just really great to see like there's the bit where she doctor the trembling stopped oh my dear i'm so glad you're feeling better like the way it's still it's yes. actually really funny and it's it's not the funniest line as a line but it's just like you, the the dynamic between them is just so inviting and warm you're just like oh this is this is great i love i love hanging out in here yeah, well, William William Hartnell had had a history of of, of uh, comedy roles, mm. uh, just just like John Pertwee, you know, and you know, and and Trout. As I'm, I, when you look back at it, like Peter Davidson was almost the first serious Doctor. They all <laughs> kind true. of have this comedy aspect to them before that. Well, maybe I guess you could say Tom Baker, since he hadn't really done any comedy roles, but he's just a natural comedian type yeah well anyway. everyone thought he was so his presence was so comedic that i i know like yeah. peter davison has said in many, many interviews like well, let's dial let's dial back the laughs you know we're gonna we're gonna mm. do serious but yeah like it's true it took until the fifth doctor to really get serious about it um yeah and hartnell is sort of the, the way that he's moves through the caves by the way i think that there's a line about how they they don't have a good time in caves um <laughs> uh, which is great, you know. Caves are kind of the the gravel pits of the nineteen sixties. Right. Quarries are the new Doctor caves Who. For, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for the seventies Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they make reference to that, which is nice. But also, as he's sort of bumbling about the cave, you definitely get the sense that, like, this is a man who's acted on stage a lot. This is a man mm. who's done a lot of uh, vaudeville. You know, he has that sort of exaggerated movement, exaggerated bumbling that. Oh dear! Let let me pat my forehead. Like he, he has that, and it kind of, it really works for him. Yeah, yeah. I I love it. It's it's wonderfully nostalgic to see now. So, uh, what? Like I said, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I think one of the scenes that really works is the bit where Barbara kills the 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 pet. 
Yes. And Sandy? Yeah, because I, th- I also think it's very unexpected from almost like a moralistic standpoint, if you sort of get my yeah. point. Like, I mean, Barbara comes out. She assumes this thing is a killer because it looks mean. Mm-hmm. She kills it. Um, they don't. There's no happy ending for this pet. You know, like it's it's dead. And yep. Vicky is sort of rightly mad at her, um, even though she tried to do the right thing. But I, I like how it sort of shows how the doctor and his companions are fallible and how yep. they make mistakes. And sometimes they make things worse where they go. And, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think you quite get enough. I mean, I think Doctor Who's always had that to some extent, but I think the better episodes work with it really well. And this we see it here in its almost er form. It's it's very early form. And it's not, this isn't the first time it happened. I mean, I think there's other episodes that show it. I think the Aztecs is a great example of that. But here, like I, I really liked this sort of 60s era sort of, morality and sort of the complexity of it and like that our our heroes are here to learn as well they're not here just to like come mm-hmm. in and save things and i thought eh, it was very it was very it was very nice to see that and see it see it sort of in its in its uh, early form agreed and it, it would have been nice to see some consequences from that to see barbara maybe uh you know i i guess she's a little uh upset that that she's killed the pet right. but like it, it doesn't yeah it's just sort of forgotten about yeah. there's there's no compensation offered i guess you got to ride in the tardis um <laughs> uh, yeah it's too bad but it's uh so so much of this is is like a period piece as well it's, it's the other thing i like about when when you see the old technology like the the radar and the mm. uh communication with the rescue ship that they're having at the start the tape recorder feels very yeah, and the tape recorders so you know bennett manages to get away with this double act as Bennett and Coquillian by having a bunch of tape recorders set up that say things like, no, go away. No, you can't come in. Stay out. Honestly, I have, I I don't quite, even with technology of 2021, I'm not quite sure how I'd set that up in my bedroom. You know, like how would I get something like Alexa to sort of say, do respond in that way. If, I, if someone were to knock on my door, <laughs> that'd be a tough one. I mean, is is isn't this the plot of Ferris Bueller's Day right? Off? Like, <laughs> he has his tape recorder set up, but what Bennett forgot to do was to have the figure in bed built out of balloons. <laughs> you know, who tries to get up when the door opens? Like that's what he really should have rigged up. A hundred percent. And then there's like the trap door. <laughs> That the doctor finds, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go out the trap door. And he somehow ends up in the cave, which I guess, okay, whatever. But mm. if you think about it for two seconds, like, how does the trap door from the ship go into the cave? Well, and, but yeah. then if you're like, oh, okay, well, it's just, it just goes out of the ship, which is fine. And the doctor walks to the cave. But if that's the case, like, why doesn't he tell everybody? <laughs> like, he's like, yeah. you just go back in. Guys, there's a trap door. Ben is not here. Come on, let's go to the cave. You know, he just, he just yeah. goes on his own. And it's like okay, I guess. <laughs> and who built who built that tunnel? Was that did Bennett like with a spoon? Kind of just is this like the Great Escape? He <laughs> been working on that tunnel for months. Well, they never explicitly say how long they've been there. You yeah. know, and so if you if you could permit me a bit of a, a indulgence of like what this movie might have looked like, 
kills everybody. <laughs> Vicky's sick for yeah. a while, like maybe weeks. He's kind of in a coma, and he sort of feeds it. Keep, well, I guess you'd have to sort of wonder, like, why he's continuing to keep her alive. But maybe you could say, like, the Didoians have already found him, and and them. Like, he hasn't had his chance yet to come out. Um, oh, but then how does he tunnel it? Yeah, you're right. So, well, maybe it's a little bit. You got a little Shawshank here. So he's <laughs> he's tunneling it, unbeknownst to his the people who are keeping him there, as well as the Didoians. He's still waiting for for his chance, and then it comes when everyone's at the feast because the guards are are there aren't as many guards. He's got the tunnel built. Vicky's still sick, kills everybody, and. I guess he thinks the tunnel he needs to use at some point. Eh, why would he build the tunnel in the first place? This doesn't work at all. Never mind. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about Bennett is that he was almost played by uh, Bernard Archard, who oh, we've seen. Mr. Yeah, Marcus Marcus Scarman from Pyramids of Mars. So maybe maybe the randomizer knows this. Maybe that's why the randomizer has brought us here. Could be. Um it is also there's also the Ian Cheston connection with Modern Undead. Uh is that that was supposed to be a, a, an Ian Cheston story. True. Here's my theory and, on the random yeah. We saw the doctor in Modern Undead invite Turlo into the TARDIS ostensibly mm. because he really feels a bit traumatized and he really misses the companion that is now gone, which was Adric at the time. And now yep. I feel like the connection here is that he's inviting Vicky on board because he's clearly suffering from missing Susan. And that's, yes. that's the main, that's, I think the big randomizer connection that we're, we're seeing. Yeah. We, we've gone, we've gone from the weirdest new companion story to the original new companion story. Right. Uh, Arguably the safest yeah, new companion story. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing that could possibly be a mess about Vicky. She's 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 such an innocent. Yeah, you can't um, help but like her. I mean, I don't think she's, she's interesting at this point. I'm not sure yeah. if she ever gets interesting, and I think that's a little bit revealed by the fact that Vicky actually never gets a last name, at least on screen. She's yeah. just Vicky. <laughs> yep, yep, and and she ends up, uh, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. She ends up in is it the Myth Makers? She she ends up going to Troy. Yes, yes. And like, that's does. that's where she lives out her days. Where she ends up. Um, so that's that's an interesting arc. <laughs> you would definitely do a lot more with these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Vicky, Vicky yeah. was was good. I mean, I remember enjoying the chase. I remember enjoying the Romans. She does some fun things. She's enthusiastic. She's young. Um, she does. She does what she needs to do, which is that she's an effective replacement for um, Caroline Ford and, and Susan. Mm. Um, it misses the backstory which is the, of the grandfather granddaughter thing. Um, yeah, maybe that's better. So that's what I was going to ask you about. It's it's like yeah, it, it is better because it avoids those weird questions. But on the other hand, so Caroline Ford leaves because uh, she feels her character isn't getting developed mm. enough. And instead of, you know, these days you might say, the showrunner might say, oh, well, we'll develop your character then. Mm -hmm. That's a good note. We'll fill in your backstory some more. We'll talk about this weird grandfather-granddaughter thing. 
If she'd stayed, maybe we would know more after all these years about how the hell the Doctor has a granddaughter, you know, who who the intervening generation is, you know, how the whole thing worked. And, and just because she left so early, mm-hmm. because she leaves 10, 11 stories in, we, we don't, that it, that whole storyline is currently, is suddenly cut short and we, we just don't know. Um, so, yeah, while it's great to have Vicky along, I think she has a certain pizzazz and energy to her that, you know, Caroline Ford was a bit more waif-like. She was kind of a, you know, uh-huh. little, little manic she, pixie She did a girl-ish. few more broken angles throughout. <laughs> um, yeah, um, no, I, I, take your, yeah. I take your point. Like, in that... Like uh, it's hard to sort of think about an alternate universe where she stayed, but it's let's think about it for a minute um, because the current one, I think you get a longer mystery, and you don't have a lot when Troughton takes over, and it takes until the end of the Troughton era yeah. to get to the Time Lords, and yep. maybe there would have been a bit more there. Like if think about like the one episode that would have really been interesting to see if Susan was still there as the time meddler. And if you get not just the doctor's reaction, but also Susan's of like who this guy is and you get Mm -hmm. other companions, I guess it was, would be Steven at that point asking Susan questions. They might not be comfortable asking the doctor, like who the hell is this guy? Where are you guys from? Like these natural questions that arise from like, wait a minute, you both have TARDISes? Like what? What is yeah. this? Yeah, and it sort of so it's been retconned in in later media to suggest that the Doctor left Susan on Earth at the end of the Dalek invasion, um, because then the Time Lords wouldn't find her there. Mm-hmm. Like that's the last place like they'd go looking for her. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to have dug into that a little bit more. But mm. you know, Vicky's great. What can I say? Do you want to examine the thing we like to examine? Which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? Yeah, so... <laughs> I guess they would have all have fallen off cliffs. Um, <laughs> Barbara falls off a cliff uh, right away, which I was like, a yeah. little bit like... I, I know I've seen the episode before, but I was like, whoa! I kinda like, it, was, it was still like, holy crap! You <laughs> like, just threw off a cliff? Yeah, and by the way, not, not to divert us too much from what if the evil plot had succeeded, but the TARDIS, at the very end falls off a cliff like that's the beginning of the romans and again spoiler alert i had to watch the beginning of the romans just to find out what happens next they don't explain what happens next they just cut to you know several months later they're in a villa eating grapes yeah i mean it's all seemingly there is no resolution it's it's all seemingly a setup just for that visual gag of like ian lying there thinking like oh is he okay oh wait he's just eating grapes yeah (laughs) yes um so there's no it's it's a cliffhanger with no resolution which is so disappointing but also i thought that the tardis was supposed to not ever land anywhere that was you know would be like on the edge of a cliff yeah i thought the tardis knew what it was about um and what system that's is why that? it's never done is it, it the coordinate since... override or the hads um it's not the hads because it's not a hostile action it isn't the first time I mean, it is the first time. Sorry, this is what I, th- I believe. This is the first time the TARDIS lands. It's on not a cliff. the last time. It's not the last time mm-hmm. the TARDIS lands on a cliff or falls off mm-hmm. a cliff. So, mm. if you, uh, the Curse of Paladin is another one where it falls, and I, mm-hmm. the 
Impossible Planet. Um, both of those. Okay. And those those aren't quite the same. It's not teetering at the start, but it mm-hmm. ends up falling down a, large, a long chasm. And there's probably a couple others I haven't. I'm not really thinking of right now. Um, hmm. Oh. The TARDIS, not as safe as advertised. Not as safe as advertised, although it is apparently indestructible, I've been told a few times, although that's also been proven wrong <laughs> on other times. So anyway. Yes, I mean, it did just blow up and destroy the universe, but that's a whole other story. Um, all right, so if the evil plot had succeeded, well, the evil plot is Bennett trying to gaslight Vicky. And kill everybody, um, right? It's pretty straightforward, yeah, I think. I, yeah, I guess he, he would... So... Here's here's something interesting that apparently in the early versions of the script, it was made more explicit that he had, um, uh, for want of a better term, uh, term icky designs on Vicky. Um, <laughs> oh man! And uh, they they managed to avoid any representation of this on the screen, mm-hmm. right? R- rather skillfully, like you you're not even paying attention to the fact that this is a older man, kind of you know gaslighting a young lady for unclear purposes um and uh so if the evil plot succeeded we would have had to have seen more about what that was actually about Mm. um okay presumably he he was actually he was actually okay with the rescue ship landing Mm -hmm. right because this was his whole plot was to get vicky to say she didn't know what had happened to anyone? She's not a witness. Well, I right. Mean, what, so then, at what they... point does it, does he start killing people? Right, because it's like presumably, yeah. If if he gets the job done with Barbara, maybe she dies instead of finds Vicky. Because if if Barbara finds Vicky, then the jig is up. Because he's going to have to kill Barbara. Yeah. Um, or kill everyone else and get Barbara and Vicky to both be gaslit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Which yeah, I, I could see that option. Barbara overcome with grief for having killed Sandy, the sand creature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, accedes to telling the rescue crew whatever Bennett tells them. Yeah, it is. It is not entirely clear, but it's also clear that if if it had, other than killing the doctor or driving the doctor away in some way, shape, or form, uh, you know, that's that's the only effect of the evil plot succeeding that we would have cared about right so it kills the doctor in any major impact maybe gaslights yeah. barbara maybe kills her too but then yeah. but do the dido people come regardless you that know, is a good they're, question they're there had they been waiting all along yeah yeah and, what, and what, they were on their way to a planet called astra i think the, yes the, the ship when, right. when it was when it left earth at least vicky was so presumably the rescue ship it might it might have yeah. been an uber pool we don't know <laughs> if it's an Uber I pool, love that they idea. Might have, they might have, you know, Astro was the first stop or the third stop, and, and everyone else and, got us and somewhere else. Just like with Uber, just like with Uber, that that scene at the start where Vicky thinks the rescue ship is closer than it is, right? Because she sees the the bleeping on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's it's such an Uber trick. Totally. Oh like, my god, sees... it's so an Uber trick. It's like here's the car, here's the car. Where's the car? <laughs> And it's like, oh, actually, it's six blocks away all of a sudden. Oh, right. All right, well, great. <laughs> and that guy, okay, I got to I gotta just a quick thing. That guy on the other side of the radio, he's a jerk. Like, she's like, this yeah. woman is, like, clearly distraught talking to you. 
yeah. and need some reassurance. And he's like, look, I can't talk to you right now. And we're not going to talk to you until we get closer. So <laughs> shut up and stop <laughs> stop talking to me. Like, that's basically what he says. It's like, Whoa, what? What are you doing? Why, why don't you have a person permanently this on station definitely... to talk to this woman <laughs> and, and whoever else is stranded? Because it's like, damn. This is definitely a Doctor Who story over which the, the shadow of World War Two is hanging, I think, <laughs> uh, as it did over most of Britain, you know, through the early 60s, right? You know, still very sort of a very regimented society. Right. Right. And and uh, militarized in a, in a very sort of everyday way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that that was what that read to me. And the, the way that Bennett sort of orders Vicky around. Uh, had that feel to it as well. Like it was just, it's mm. just an age where older white men ordered a lot of people around yeah. and, uh, you can see the results of that. <laughs> Indeed. Well, in luckily, the luckily the yeah. elder white man knew white man who was dressing up as a bug, uh, his evil plot did not <laughs> succeed. And, uh, we got to see, we got to see more of Dr. Who, uh, for another, yeah. you know, 50 plus years. Um, okay. Yeah. So this one's pretty good. I, I, you know, generally like it, I think the bar is fairly low for the rescue. It has to do a few things The who done. It's pretty effective. I think, uh, as it gets a little more obvious as the, as, as it goes on, but the, it's, it's kind of hard to say because I think it really works for the audience at the time, mostly because of the costume thing I mentioned earlier. Like it's so subversive. It's like, even if you, even if you're predicting it, I think you appreciate. Oh, it's just a guy in a suit. Oh, crazy! You know, like I think there's a, there's a certain delight with that. Um, I think it works. I think the performances all work. I think you know the the, the bits of moralism. It's short. The bar's low, but it really works. I, I'm I'm giving this one in our rating system, which rates good episodes as Daleks and bad episodes as Ogrons. Uh, in case it hasn't been clear until now, uh, in my <laughs> book, this one this one's a Dalek. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a miniature Jalik. Yeah. It's 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 not a bad way to spend an hour. It's maybe um, one of those um, yeah. revelation of the Daleks, Daleks, which are kind of like human Daleks, <laughs> a little bit nasal and don't quite. <laughs> they kind of wander around a little bit and bump into things, but you know they're Daleks. They're okay. I appreciate seeing Daleks. It's it's a Dalek eye stalk sticking out of someone's forehead. That's that's what. Oh I'm yeah. Oh man, those like zombie guys. No. It's better than that. The zombie Daleks. I'm not a fan of the zombie Daleks. The Moffat era zombie Daleks. Dalek zombies? I guess they're not really zombie Daleks. Okay. But we digress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, You know, I'm I'm going to... There's also just such the nostalgia element of it being a very, very of its era. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Union Jack being on the ship. Yeah. Back in the days when we thought Britain was going to go to space on its own. Mm. Uh, and just stuff like the fact that Ian still wears a tie. Ian still wears a tie. I, I think that is hilarious. It, was, it so struck out to me. Like he's adventuring in this two-piece suit and a tie that is buttoned all the way up. You know, like, okay, yes. admittedly, David Tennant. Yes, he adventures in his suit too. Somehow it works. But at least he unbuttoned his shirt. <laughs> at least he could move. <laughs> like, 
ears? Yeah, just give your neck a little room. Like, there's, there's that whole scene, which we haven't discussed, the cliffhanger at the end mm. of the first episode, the spikes that come out of the yeah. cliff, that that Ian is perfectly capable of walking around these spikes. Yeah, and, and I'm certain people, <laughs> even at the time, the thought so. Like, what what's the threat here? <laughs> what? And also, like, the spikes only go out to the cliff edge, and it's like he kind of goes around yeah. them, and it's like, well, if those spikes had just gone out, like, another couple of feet... You know, and then and if and this is never really mentioned, is there really a threat considering that the creature is a vegetarian? <laughs> like it, yes, it roars. Okay, yeah. So but, that is the same creature. Yeah. Okay, now I wasn't entirely clear on that, but um, but yeah, it's sort of I I do like that even through all of that, he he still you know he's perfectly dapper in his suit, and it kind of reminds me of a, a tweet I saw this week of um. It was a picture of Indiana Jones with a bare chest, sort of, you know, hacking away with a machete and attacking, you know, punching Nazis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And That's what the caption of the tweet was, when, when you're a tenured archaeology professor in Connecticut. <laughs> 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 I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, Indiana Jones, probably it would, would have been more authentic to its era for him to still wear his suit on, yeah. on his actual adventures. Right. Yeah. It's, I think that's what the rescue is teaching us. Exactly. As, as long, you know, and considering what he did with his hat, it would be the same suit in every single yes. F- <laughs> movie. Um, which it kind of was. He'd get his tie caught jacket. on something. Yeah. 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 It's a different kind of suit. He'd get his tie caught on a spike. He'd run back to get it. You know, <laughs> just you have a lot of scenes like that. Oh, good times. All right. Um, so, should we find out where we're going next? Should we pull out our randomizer? Yes. Very excited so about this. this is it, guys. Uh, so, while I'm doing this, do you want to explain the people Absolutely. at home? Absolutely. Remind so them how we randomize. Every, every week, we find out where we're going next. We activate the TARDIS randomizer, um, which is a... Uh, is it random.org? Is that what it is? So, yes. random.org bases its random numbers on atmospheric radiation atmospheric mm. movements yeah noise, noise. Yeah. so because as it turns out computers are actually notoriously bad at picking random numbers they really aren't good at it um computers are very logical they need to sort of figure out some way to do a random number and um that is just a thing that doesn't jive with true randomness so this is a yeah. much better way to find a random number so you just go to random.org uses atmospheric uh, radiation to figure out uh, what random number you want between any two numbers you want. And we have an, we have every Doctor Who story that has been broadcast on television in a single spreadsheet. There have been 297 of them. And we have them in a spreadsheet between rows two and 298. It's just, it's just how, it's just how Google sheets works, guys. You know how it works. Yeah. And, um, yeah. we are going to pick one. Now we're going to pick one of these random numbers. And, uh, that is the next episode we're going to check out. So what is it going to be? Chris, let's do it. Okay. Activate. Ready? Geronimo! Eight. Eight. Are you kidding? It's the sensorites. Wow! Eight? Did you did you really do the two to two hundred ninety-eight? Yes, yes. I can send you a screenshot. My goodness, we're doing the <laughs> sensorites. We, we've we've gone back in time four stories. Yeah. 
to. I think the randomizer likes William Hartnell. I think it, it's it's definitely gotten a taste of him and, and is going for it. Okay, the sensorites. Okay. Yeah. Fun fact. And that is a, fun fact. The yeah. sensorites as a kid was the story I fell asleep the most in front of. <laughs> That's that's a very precise distinction. How, I, I remember you... this because they were broadcasting them on PBS. They'd gone through, so they did. I started with Davison. When they finished the end of Davison, they started at Pertwee. They did Pertwee all the way back to Davison, and did Colin Baker, then back all the way to Hartnell, and then Hartnell. Um, we, I did everything, and I was so into every episode except for the sensorites. And I videotaped every episode so I could watch it again. And every time I went back to the sensorites, I, I would just fall asleep. And, and, wow. Yeah, it was just one of those things. I don't know why. Well, hopefully this is not going to have that same effect this I'll time. I'll power through uh, it, I guess. We'll see. I mean, like, I'll, yeah. I'll sit down with some strong tea or some... some Starbucks lattes and just okay. I'm I'm getting through this. This is it. It's for the I, I like I like that you originally watched the doctors in random order. That that seems so right. perfect for for the journey that we're on yeah, now. They would, they would rewind to random eras and but when they went back to Hartnell, they went all the way. They went with every possible story all the way up to uh, McCoy and uh, yeah. Wow, everything that was available then. Well, I. I'm very excited. Sensorites, yet another one I don't think I've seen. Um... And it's it's <laughs> it's one of the few, other than the Dalek invasion of Earth and the rescue, uh, stories from that era that's actually set in the future explicitly. Huh. Um, actually, I, if you look at it, think about it, it's the it's the only story. It's the first story that's set in the future because interesting child, obviously the past, the Daleks somewhere, not not specific, Edge mm -hmm. of Destruction. Just on the TARDIS, Marco Polo, historical, Gizmarinus, alien planet, who knows when, Aztecs in the past. The Sensorite is actually the first show that is like, oh, this is Earth's future when like interstellar travel is a thing. Huh. Uh, well, I expect to see lots of uh, spaceships with Union flags. That's my <laughs> guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love coming to these things completely um, unspoiled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though they were broadcast in 1964, so well, six-parter. And judging on my sleep oh, patterns boy. back then, I think episodes four to six are unspoiled <laughs> for me. So, oh, okay, I, that's what we've got to watch out for. I'll, I, I will uh, take some no-dos before <laughs> venturing into the second half of the sensorites. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Chris, this has been fun talking about the rescue. Really excited to go into more Hartnell stuff with you. Um, want to thank everybody for listening, hanging out with us to reminisce about Doctor Who. Um, this is Pull to Open. It's a podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. In case we're encountering this on a uh, on a web embed or you know in some clip somewhere. Yeah, or a web planet. Ooh, web planet. Yes. Very dangerous. Mm. It's, I've, if you're in the ice shop, <laughs> that's where it'll take us next. Now I've said yeah. that. We're available on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on Google. We're on Breaker. We're on all the good podcast platforms. Check us out there. Check us out on TikTok at Pull to Open. 
uh, on Twitter at pull to open 63. Also pull to open 63 on Instagram. Hang out there, like our stuff, leave a comment, come to the, your podcast service and leave us a review. We'd love it. Uh, we'll even read your review out on the podcast if you do so. So, uh, that would be a, an awesome thing for everyone. Um, yeah, give us a follow, say something, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>